Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. In the early years of American history, Catholics in general, and religious sisters in particular, were not always welcome. However, this situation began to change, in part, as a result of the medical care that religious sisters provided during the Civil War. Today's guest, Sister Dolores Liptak, explores this fascinating but overlooked facet of U.S. history. Sister Liptak wrote the article, Sister Nurses of the Civil War, which can be found in the January 2018 issue of Ethics and Medics. In this podcast, Sister Dolores begins by describing the situation facing Catholic religious sisters in the pre-Civil War period. She then explains how these women provided care to soldiers on both sides of the war, the challenges they faced in doing so, and how their efforts began to change cultural perceptions of Catholics. She concludes by applying lessons learned from these religious sisters to the delivery of health care today in the developing world, as well as to present-day realities facing the U.S. Catholic Church. Hello, Sister uh, Dolores. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Joe. I was wondering if we could start off today with you telling us a bit about your background, uh, especially your education and your work within your religious order. Okay, well, uh, I am a Connecticut girl uh, brought up in Fairfield County, Bridgeport, Connecticut. I had Catholic schooling through, um, through my entrance into the Sisters of Mercy of the Americas. Which I did, which I entered in the 1950s. But I did my doctoral work at the University of Connecticut. Speaking of sports, go women Huskies. Um, I, uh, when I completed my studies, I asked if in American, if I could do my doctoral on a Catholic topic. That led me to write my first book uh, on Catholic immigrants in Connecticut. Um, And then that led me eventually to getting very involved in archives, and then I moved down because of that to Washington. I was teaching at St. Joseph College, but um, got the offer to go down to Washington to work for CARA, you know, the Center for Applied Research and the Apostolate, as their historian and archivist. That's where I got interested in women religious. So I did a lot of studies of women religious uh, for CARA. I also edited a book for CARA um, called Pioneer Healers, and that sort of moved me into women in healthcare. I was, of course, more uh, familiar with, you know, women in um, uh, teaching, uh, women religious in teaching, because I had entered a teaching community. But I, that's when I sort of became uh, very knowledgeable about that. I, also, while I was in Washington, I organized two other archives of women religious, two significant archives, and then became involved in the archivists of uh, in the formation of the Archivist uh, Society of Women Religious in the United States. So the long and the short of it is um, 
I didn't uh, do my own community's archives until my quote-unquote senior years. I came back to Connecticut about 20 years ago and uh, then organized them. So I have a, a lot of experience, I have a very broad experience writing about women religious with publishing on them, editing books on them, um, but also uh, in the very precious work of organizing women's archives, I got to know a lot about women religious in a way, uh, much of a life study and uh, growing knowledge of women religious in healthcare. That's a great segue into our interview today because we what we're going to be talking about is an article that you wrote for the January 2018 edition of Ethics and Medics called Sister Nurses of the Civil War. So in talking about that, I was wondering if we could start out if you could give us a little background about the situation facing Catholics in general and religious sisters in particular in pre-Civil War America. Yeah, this uh, people uh, don't at all uh, realize the condition that Catholics were in pre-Civil War. They were a much maligned, Catholics in general were much maligned and considered uh, Romish or belonging to uh, the, the Church of Rome or under the authority of the Pope, all that, which made them not simply followers, but rejectors of American um, civil or, uh, you know, uh, civil liberties, I guess is what you'd say there. And so Catholics in general, and they, now there would be beginning to be a trickle of Catholics as immigrants from, from Ireland and Germany and France in particular, and these were, were Catholics. These, these Catholics were very much looked down uh, upon by the general public. In addition to that, this phenomenon of, that they were introducing, uh, the, and the phenomenon was of women religious, was that much more appalling to a Protestant majority. Um, they could not understand being part of uh, society, and that other way was to, to live together, as you know, in community and under vows, and uh, to dress differently from the others. And so they were very much, women religious before the Civil War, were very much subjected to ridicule, and uh, it, it was a pretty uh, disastrous situation for them. There were very few of them, of course. The first sisters to be established were established only after the ratification of the Constitution when uh, it was admitted that religion was now free. And four Carmelite sisters who were originally Americans who had traveled to Belgium and the Netherlands, returned to America, to Maryland, uh, in 1790. So there were four at a time when there were about 30,000 Catholics in the United States. From four sisters in 1790, 
1830, there were over a thousand. They had grown that rapidly, and they had grown mostly in the uh, Maryland, which was um, had a large Catholic population. The Maryland and uh, Kentucky areas. So they were around, and what were they doing? They were beginning what today would, or then then was called hospitals. Today would probably be called health care facilities because there were none. In fact, before 1830, they had opened 28 hospitals already, these health care facilities. And um, who they served was the poor. Orphans was always a first priority, um, the sick, the elderly. And um, and they did a lot of walking through the streets, helping the homeless. There was no health care system uh, before, before the Civil War, uh, and certainly not before 1830. But they had learned, the ones especially who would be coming in um, between 1830 and 1860 from Ireland, uh, German, Germany, and France, had learned some techniques of healthcare. In particular, the Sisters of Mercy had gone to the Crimea and had seen what the conditions, the horrible conditions of war were like, and had learned what to begin with. Florence Nightingale knew, understood the germ theory before others had, and she kept preaching on that. Our sisters had picked it up. So they were experienced in general medical care. They were being feared, and and, uh, one of the uh, uh, best indicators of that was uh, Lyman Beecher, who was uh, of that Beecher family, Harriet Beecher Stowe's family, uh, was her father, actually, uh, gave a lecture on a plea for the West. And the plea for the West was, watch out, because Catholic women, religious, are out to establish schools and hospitals and health care facilities, and that will be the downfall of us all. It, mm-hmm. it would be, he, he actually said, barbarism is our first threat, Romanism is our second that actually accounted for the burning down of a Catholic academy right outside of Boston, Massachusetts in 1834. Let's move forward to the Civil War itself. What religious communities sent sisters to provide medical care during the war? Well, that also was quite amazing because by by that time, by 1860, there were um, maybe 40 religious communities, 21 religious communities served during the Civil War, 21. And the largest were the Daughters of Charity, who sent over 232 sisters to serve in the war. They were very prominent at Gettysburg. For for example, their own mother house was only a dozen miles away from uh, Gettysburg. It was in uh, Emmitsburg, Maryland. The second largest community of sisters were the Religious Sisters of Mercy. There were 110 of them. The third largest were the Holy Cross Sisters. 
the ones uh, who would found St. Mary's College, now I think also University, right by Notre Dame, um, who were not nurses at all, but answered the call of their local bishop to uh, do what they could do and served throughout the war on hospital ships for the most part. Uh, again, we have to imagine the Civil War as uh, a war that uh, in which you were, it was the first of the modern wars. And uh, so there were distances to travel and uh, one of the easiest ways to travel besides carts and, and the few train tracks were the rivers. And uh, the Holy Cross sisters uh, would board the, what they called floating hospital ships and uh, there they um, cared for those aboard the ship until they could reach a nearby hospital. In their case, that hospital was in Illinois, Mound, Mound City, Illinois. Um, in the Mercy's case, the hospital was called Satterley Hospital, and it was uh, outside of Pittsburgh. There were multiple amputations aboard the ships and in the hospitals. And as these um, poor fellows, young boys, were uh, trying to recuperate, there were the sisters cleaning them up, um, caring you know, for, for them, feeding them, holding their hands uh, as they lay dying, uh, baptizing a number of them. Now remember, most of these soldiers were Protestant. So there was the concern on the part of some that they were going to be poisoned or something bad was going to happen to them. And they would be, uh, they would look at them eagle-eyed and then notice the sacrifice of these sisters who worked from dawn to the next dawn, uh, who uh, gave up their beds if they had beds and um, just uh, um, would put on clean sleeves over now often drenched habits and um, care for the sick. Uh, this uh, proved to be um, so amazing to the Protestant soldiers that, uh, that uh, most historians say, or Catholic historians have realized that after that religious prejudice from north to south, because it did not matter to the sisters whether they were northerners or southerners, southerners their, their attitudes changed. The Catholic, the culture of America changed dramatically because of the sisters. It was confirmed even at that time. They uh, bishops at that time noted that prejudice melted as they watched these women in action. So how did the sisters get involved? Uh, were, they, were they asked to provide care or did they, did they take the, the initiative on their own to do it? Actually, for the most time, they were asked to. And uh, I, I think with the Sisters of, Holy, of the Holy Cross, they didn't even wait. No, they, even they, now that I think of it, even they, um, would immediately uh, see the need and be ready when asked to do so. Who asked them? 
first of all, it was the bishop. Very often a bishop would get an appeal from a group of doctors or an individual doctor or a member of the their state, the local government, sometimes the national government, um, Edward Stanton, who was a federal, uh, I think he was a secretary, uh, secretary of state or secretary of the army. He actually asked for sisters to come to assist uh, because they they had observed, doctors had observed the good work sisters had were already doing in in health care. And so this is how they did get into it. Um, there's a sister, um, Anthony O'Connell was her name. She was a sister of charity of Cincinnati. Uh, the, uh, the governor of Indiana actually came to her and asked her to um, see what she could do to help in um, in, in Ohio, in, in the Cincinnati area. And uh, so th that's how she she did get involved. We had sisters in Baltimore, Sisters of Mercy in Baltimore, and a small uh, facility in D.C., uh, the District of Columbia. Almost immediately that was turned over to take care of um, uh, wounded soldiers sent to the D.C. area. And that's how Abraham Lincoln actually gets into the game very early on because he was fully aware of what these nuns were doing and he was uh, so amazed that he, he's one of the ones that entitled them angels of mercy or angels of charity. He, he confessed that he couldn't tell which group was which. So he just said they, that's what the title he gave them and um, at, at one time, one of the sisters uh, was concerned that she didn't wasn't getting the provisions that she was that she needed in D.C. And she and a companion walked from their hospital. Uh, it was only about 10, 12 blocks to the White House and asked to see the president and directly asked him for the provisions and according to our Baltimore archives, there's a letter that says to whom it may apply, um, the Sisters of Mercy are to get the provisions they need and it's signed Abraham Lincoln. What challenges did the, uh, did the sisters face, particularly in providing care during the war? Well, of course there were uh, tremendous well, for, first of all, uh, Dorothea Dix did not like them. <laughs> and she, from our school days, we learned she was uh, named superintendent of nurses, and she really did not want the sisters to be involved. So the first challenge was sort of fighting her. Why and, did she not want them involved? Uh, prejudice. Prejudice. She was a, a good Protestant, and as I had said earlier, um, they, the sisters could, were only out, uh, they willingly said this, uh, were only out for their own glory and in order to, uh, um, uh, convert them to Catholicism. And, uh, so she, she was very suspicious of them. She was probably suspicious of them 
also because she herself was not a nurse. She's a teacher. She did not understand the germ theory, the, the very germ of the germ theory. And she um, um, just, just disliked them for that reason. She was a very straight-laced woman herself, and she was very hard <coughs> on the those women who did join. By the way, there were about 3,000 women who on and off joined under her, but she was later removed from her position uh, because the doctors did not like her. They did not like her manner. They preferred the sisters. So um, I guess the reason was a, a combination of jealousy, fear, uh, prejudice. Um, and, and at any rate, so the sisters had to face that starting with her, not with the doctors, but with her. Um, but they also, it was difficult getting supplies. They knew they needed clean bandages. Um, they, uh, they themselves, uh, endured not being able to, to pray, um, as they were used to do, doing. Um, they, they would ask, for permission not not to say prayers and and we were readily uh, together that is in community and they were readily given that uh, permission um, and, and they were reminded of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy and that their job what what they were doing was a holy work so that that was a hardship for them uh, the worst hardship and you know if I could just even read you some of the quotes was them seeing the horrible conditions that the uh their young the young boys were subjected to um you know just just one quote uh uh would would uh, would, would break your heart sister anthony says at one point at one time there were 700 of these poor creatures crowded into one Boat. The Sisters of Charity went to war as nurses, but sometimes fell to their lot to be assistant surgeons. The battlefield of Shiloh presented the most frightful and disgusting sights that it was ever my lot to witness. That was um, Sister Anthony's words. Uh, and they assisted. They Often a doctor would be so exhausted that he would actually turn the job over to the sisters who, you know, were watching over. So I think if you're talking about hardships, they saw it all. I think clearly the sisters suffered from PTSD. You know, they uh, they saw much more than they ever thought they would ever see in their entire lives, and they gutted through it all. What aspects of the sisters' experiences during the Civil War are applicable to modern healthcare, both in the developed and in the developing world? Yeah, I think uh, I like that question because we're talking again about the developing world and we're talking again about difficult times and times of persecution. And um, I read about this every day, almost every day. So sometimes it isn't persecution. Uh, the sister I live with, 
husband working in Haiti for three decades now, and there you have extreme poverty and the dirtiness, the lack of knowledge of uh, how to, how to care for oneself, and certainly the lack of medical care. And um, uh, in, in Haiti specifically, uh, there there are at least a half a dozen of communities of women religious who have gone down there and stayed and fallen in love with the people, seen their needs and taking care and taking care and made a di- making a difference. But the similarity is they are exactly where sisters are supposed to be. They they're supposed to be missionaries of God's message of loving care, uh, preachers of that through their loving care. Uh, again, I know my own sisters are in Africa, and uh, they're, they're throughout Central and South America. Um, that's my community, but every community has a cohort of sisters, even though we're aging sisters, who have gone out, who go out, and help develop the women to be independent themselves and to know how to take care of the of the sickest. What final words of wisdom do you have for us today? I've watched it as a historian, as had the great privilege of, of seeing how God writes the story and that he writes it in a different way in every century. And especially in the United States, the 19th century was a century in which nuns were co-adjutors, co-helpers, worked hand in hand with their brother priests and bishops to build an American Catholic church. And and that made for the, the tremendous U.S. Catholic church that we had in the 20th century. And now, of course, it would seem as if we should be losing hope. But as a historian, I say, uh-uh, not true, not true. They were following the needs of the time. They were following God's call as the nuns of the 19th century did, and that's all they wanted to do. And that will continue in some other wonderful way um, through the laity and through a smaller number of dedicated sisters who will continue to make a difference. Sister Dolores, thank you for your time today. You're very welcome. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.